Sylvia, and this is Out Loud a Gizmo, a saying my dad made up. This is a storytelling podcast where you will experience excitement, laughter, reality, and mind-blowing adventures. Hello. Today, we're going to hear my dad's stories during World War II when he was in the Merchant Marines with his brother-in-law, Jack, my mom's sister, Garner V's husband. They were very lucky to have been on the same ship together. Here goes. Chapter 23. One day in 1944, Jack showed up. I said, are you going back in the mines? He said, no way. I came to get you to join the merchant marines with me. I am going to get drafted, and you will too, before the war is over. He talked me into it. So I went to the employment office and asked for a release from the mines. The man in the employment office said, we can't do that. You're frozen on this job. I said, well, I hate to tell you this, but I am just fixin' to get thought out. Since the company controlled the rations board, I couldn't get gasoline. So Denzel Isbell gave me all the stamps I needed to get to California. We moved in with Garner V and Jack once again. Jack and I went to LA to the Merchant Marine office. Jack signed up. But they told me I would have to go back to the mines, because that is where your deferment is. I said, I won't go back to the mines, so if you want me in the Merchant Marines, I am ready. Otherwise I will wait for the army. He said, if that's the way you feel about it, we will sign you up. They gave us two weeks to get ready to ship out to Catalina for boot camp training. We went home and practiced every day, running, hill climbing, and jogging. Someone told us that they had a bunch of kids over there who would try to show us up. When they said kids, they meant 17 to 21 year olds. I was 25. Jack was 27. They put us in the old men's group. There are some tall mountains on Catalina, with trails to the top about a mile long. That hill climbing we did before we came over, helped, helped me anyway. I ran up that hill close to the record time. I saw lots of those tough kids laying along the side on my way up. They were all pooped out. You didn't get up that hill and back if you weren't in shape. Jack only made it halfway up. He was a little overweight. After the hill climb, we had to march about a mile with our heavy pea coats on to the bay and rowed boats with 12 men to a boat until noon. Then we had to march to our barracks still wearing our pea coats. It was cold, about 40 degrees and foggy, but by noon it was 80 or 90 degrees but we couldn't pull our coats off until noon, except to climb the hill. One morning, we had to put on our shorts and march out on a dock that was sticking out in the water far enough for big ships to dock beside it. They had life jackets hanging on the rails. Everyone had to put one on that someone else had already used just before us. Boy, they sure were cold. We had to jump off and swim around to the other side and climb out and then put our clothes back on. Those clothes sure felt good. After our boot camp training, they shipped about 24 of us to the mainland to catch a ship. We were supposed to stay in San Pedro, California until they got us a ship. Jack and I went AWOL 
to Riverside to see our families. We got back to San Pedro about 4 o'clock in the morning and slipped into our quarters. Boy, they caught sure felt good for about an hour, then they rang a loud bell for chow call. I remembered how hungry I was or I would have slept through it. Just as well I didn't. After breakfast they called out a list of names that they had a ship for at dock number so-and-so in San Pedro. Jack and I were among the ones called. The ship's name was SS Beacon. We loaded into a stake bed truck for the trip that was about two miles in fog that was so thick that you couldn't see across the street. But they got us there. Jack and I got to stay on the same ship together. We made one trip to Portland, Oregon and one trip to Seattle, Washington. And from there, we went overseas to the Caroline Islands, hauling jet fuel. After we left Pearl Harbor, we had no protection from enemy subs, so we zigzagged for a week or so. I guess that made us harder to hit. One day we had engine trouble, and we were like floating ducks for about four hours. We had a convoy of ships two or three days ahead of us going to the same place. But we couldn't mix with a convoy because our cargo was too dangerous. In case of an enemy attack, our jet fuel would be dangerous to the entire convoy. We had several alerts, but the closest we ever came to getting hit was when a Navy gunner forgot to take the plug out of the end of the 20mm machine gun that he was planning to target practice with. It blew the end of the barrel off and blew shrapnel all over the ship. No one was hurt, except the gunner, when the Navy officer got through chewing on him. We pulled into the islands. The water was blue, like someone had poured bluing into it. But between the islands, the water was light blue, because the water was shallow there. We tied up alongside a Navy tanker. I had to look up about 30 feet to see the deck of the Navy tanker. The next morning, they were lower than the night before, because we had discharged the jet fuel from our tanker to their tanker. Well, we sat there three days and had to load up with sea water to keep our ship from rolling so bad. One night the Navy took about 15 of us to a movie on one of their ships. After the movie was over, they were taking us back to our ship. And they got lost and went to about 25 different ships before finding ours. There must have been 50 or more ships in the natural harbor with tiny islands all around us. And only one way in and one way out. We were on our way to South America from here. But after about a week on our way, we had our orders changed. They told us to come back to San Pedro for another load. We had taken on enough supplies for six months, but we were out to sea for only two months. So, between Pearl Harbor and San Pedro, the captain said to throw all of our meat, such as pork, beef, chicken, fish, and eggs, over the side. I worked in the cold storage part of the ship. The reason for getting rid of all this stuff was so they could get fresh supplies. Otherwise, all ships had to take everything they still had back with them on the next trip. Anyway, when we got to port, I got off, and so did Jack. We went home and got a job with Riverside Ice Company. One night, Ruth, Edward, Andy and I went to visit friends we knew in Bisbee. They lived in a 21-feet trailer. They wanted to sell it. So we bought it and moved it to Ruth's mom and dad's place in Riverside, California. I went back to the Merchant Marines and caught a ship with a load of crude oil to Portland, Oregon. While we were in Portland, the Air Force dropped the bombs that ended the war with Japan. 
When we got back to California, I quit the Merchant Marines. Ruth met me at San Pedro. We went back to Riverside and hooked up the trailer and headed for Texas. Chapter 24 We were pulling the trailer with a 1934 Ford Roadster. It was a hard pull, but we made it. After about three days, we pulled into Slayton where Guy, Sarah, Geraldine, and Bill lived. We parked the trailer in their backyard. About the first thing I did was trade the Roadster for a 1934 four-door Ford. We decided to take a vacation before I got a job. We took Bill with us and headed for Papa, Molly, and Betty's in Henrietta, Oklahoma. Betty still lived at home. We stopped at LV and Smitty's in Amarillo, Texas, and spent the night. I always heard that all there was to stop the wind in Amarillo was a barbed wire fence. The next morning we took off for Oklahoma. It sure was cold, my feet would nearly freeze, we would have to stop and get them warm. Every time we came to a town, the kids would jump up and say, are we there yet? How many more towns are there? I told them there was a lot more towns, but I will let you know when we get there. Well, we didn't get there until after midnight. They lived on 4th Street, there was a hill called 4th Street Hill. I had to make three or four runs at it before I finally made it. The clutch was burned out. The next day me and my stepbrother Amos pulled the motor out far enough to put a clutch in it. Then we went to Wagoner to visit my sisters Viva, Virginia, and my sister, Ruth. Mary, I used to call her Inez, lived in San Diego, California. We headed back to Slayton, Texas. I got a job with the Santa Fe Railroad, working in the shop for about three months. Then they put me on call, watering troop trains. It was the middle of winter and watering trains was a cold job. The reason there were troop trains, the troops were coming home from the war. I knew that my dad was in the Merchant Marines, but I really didn't know what he did in there. And now hearing that they were hauling jet fuel, what a dangerous assignment that was. And the fact that the convoy of other ships had to stay away from them and no one could protect them for fear of blowing up the ships in case they were targeted by the enemy. Very scary stuff. Then those little stinkers went AWOL when they were at San Pedro waiting for their assignment and went to Riverside to be with their family for a few hours and then came back. Then after the war was over, he was going somewhere in one of his vehicles again, and (laughs) he burns out more clutches. I guess when you don't have the best cars, that's what happens. Also, keep in mind, my daddy called my mother, Norma Ruth, for the first few years, But not long after this, he actually started calling her Ruth. So it might be a little confusing for you guys because he had a sister named Ruth. But if he talks about the sister, I'll make sure you know that that's who he's talking about. I loved hearing at the very end that he got a job watering the troop trains because the war was over and the troops were coming home. I like that kind of ending. Please come back to hear all of the many different stories of my dad's life. Each chapter and episode will take you on adventures as he grows up. And don't forget to press subscribe or follow so you can come back and listen to the real-life stories. Because I want you to be able to envision his world through your ears. 
And goodness gracious, out loud a gizmo, you're in for a wonderful adventure. Bye-bye now. This podcast was hosted by Sylvia Gant. Thanks to my dad, Dave Pickett, for writing the stories. A special thanks to Uncle Bill Pickett for the piano music. Thank you.